So what we're going to do, as we said, we're going to have uh, Q&A. And Sam, Sandra, and myself are going to uh, answer as many questions as we can, <laughs> knowing that we are not the oracles of truth here. And some questions we may not be able to answer, and some questions we may not want to answer. Okay, So the questions need to relate to Ephesians. You know, They're not questions that you've always wondered what the answer was for and thought tonight would be the great time to bring it all up and throw it out there, okay? This is all related to Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all right? Um, after we've done that, if you have a question, come up and see us or anyone else that you group, and they might have the answer for you if it's a question you'd really like to have understanding on. We already asked one today, or Kristen asked one, and you know, it's one of those ones that it's a bit of a mystery, um, and it wasn't related to, to Ephesians, but it's still really important to, to know, okay? Um, so what I'm going to do before that is just, I just want to read Ephesians six eighteen to 24, just so for all those people that go, we can sort of finish this thing, but it's never finished. <laughs> we can go, yeah, put a full stop there and feel good about that. I know I'm going to feel good about that <laughs> if we do that. Um, knowing that, you know, we can go back and go all over it again. But this is what Ephesians 6, verse 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So it's a 24-7 thing, isn't it, prayer? It's not something that we do on a Wednesday morning here, 6.30 or 7.30. It's a lifestyle, and it's about praying whenever and wherever you may be, in tongues, in English, and allowing the Father to interpret all those stuff. So pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So you can hear his heart cry for the church. We're not just praying for ourselves, we're praying for what God is doing, we're praying for the fellow saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so, as we know, Paul is the writer of Ephesians, and he has the substance of what he writes about living within him, and he knows the importance of being able to deliver it in a way that is simple but powerful. And so he's asking for prayer because it's a wrestle. I feel this too, and I'm sure everyone that speaks does. It's a wrestle with God to deliver what how much, when, not to speak anything that's not of him. And so it needs prayer. And I need just as much prayer as Paul needs. And whoever's speaking needs prayer. And it's the saints that pray for the saints. It's not just praying for ourselves and our own needs. Verse 21, But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and my faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Verse 23 and 24 are really powerful. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The last verse, I believe, sums up the book of Ephesians, or the manna of Ephesians. This would be what you would want to be able to do from eating chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. So his love is incorruptible, isn't it? 
It hasn't been corrupted by sin. It hasn't been corrupted by the world. It is incorruptible. And that seed, because God is love, was shed that we, many seeds would come to life, yeah? And have incorruptible love within them. So you're able to love him with the love he loves you with. It is a two-way relationship. And it starts in him and with him. Only when we love with incorruptible love, meaning the love he puts in us, can we actually love another human being the way he asks us to. Otherwise, we love with corruptible love. It'll take you so far, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not incorruptible love. It's not 1 Corinthians 13, for love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's gentle. It holds no wrongs. It's not jealous. I mean, this is a love that's not earthly, but it can live in us. And he wants us to be perfected in love through the eating of the Word of God. Amen? So I just want to invite Sam and Sandra to come up. Now, what we're going to do is, there's a, where is it? Right there. So what we want you to do is speak and ask the question into that mic, because it's being recorded. Okay? So everyone's going to hear it. So just if you have a question, just go to the mic, ask your question, then maybe stay at the mic until we finish and make sure that we've heard and answered in a way that you're happy with. Um, in the event that we run out of questions, we're going to have a little bit of discussion, and I'm going to ask these guys some questions. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know that. <laughs> that's right. That's why you always say no. Um, but that'll involve everybody, and um, that's the cool thing. Is it? And this is just all a learning from one another, isn't it? Um, so, as I said before, we we don't have all the uh, all the answers. But we're going to start with a question that I was sent um, to get us rolling. So hopefully that'll uh, give us an idea of some of the things to ask. Um, the question is this: What is the difference between operating from f- from having faith? And operating from revelation. What is the difference between operating from having faith and operating from revelation? Because having faith is seeing in the unseen. So is having the revelation is having so is having the revelation then being able to live out and demonstrate what is what it is you've seen. You know nothing until you have become it. That was something I said last week. Can you have sight faith without revelation, or do they Come in the same hand. Okay, so this is how I'll just give you my answer to that. Revelation births faith. So revelation, Holy Spirit's job is to reveal. So as He reveals things, faith is birthed because now we can see what He's revealing. Okay, so I want to put here: faith and revelation are intrinsically linked together. Revelation births faith. The Holy Spirit's role is to reveal. Reveal God and his kingdom truths and patterns in and to us. As he does this through revelation, we now can see faith, everything that is in him. We then live from what we see, faith. Paul said, I no longer live, but the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith or sight in Jesus Christ. And I actually said, is that clear? And the person said yes. Okay, so faith 
and revelation are intrinsically linked together. Holy Spirit's role is to reveal, like I said this morning, everything that's in God. As he reveals, we start to see. Okay? I pray the eyes of your hearts would see in the knowledge, in the knowing of what's in Christ. So Paul said, the life I live now on this earth, I, don't, I live by my life in the flesh, meaning his life in this body. He lives by what he sees in the sun. And he's seeing in the invisible. But he sees it. Yeah? Eats it. And what he's seeing and eating, he's able to walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. Everyone comfortable with that? Anybody want to ask a question on top of that question? Or anything I just said for greater clarity? Okay, I've got another question, which I'll ask. And this is I'm going to pass on to probably Sam. Okay, this is the question. Is the church slash body of Christ the bride of Christ? Okay, is the church slash body of Christ the bride of Christ? Why is the bride of Christ set apart, separated, taken out from the church body of Christ, I guess, if it is? So the, question, the first question we'll ask, is the church slash body of Christ the bride of Christ? Uh, I think yes, is the answer to the question. <laughs> the church is, uh, so, so it's saying, is the church the bride of Christ? Is the church the body? Is the church the body of Christ the bride of Christ? Yep, yep. So the church is the bride of Christ, but my personal conviction is that even though, so it's like saying, yes, the church as, as the body of Christ, we are all sons of God. Um, to me, it's like, yes, we're all sons of God. Yes, we are the bride of Christ. But just like the fact that we are all sons of God, not everyone that's part of the, the body of Christ will actually live out the fullness of the life of being mature sons. So I see that to me, that's the bride in the same way. So we're all called to be the bride. It says that many are called, but few are chosen. So no one in this room is excluded from being the bride of Christ, but not everyone in this room will step into it and lay hold of it with two hands, even though you are born and chosen before the foundation of the world to be his bride. Does that make sense? So everyone is called to be it and has been, but not everyone will, will lay hold of it, the full reality of that within them. Um, yeah, that's, that's my, personal, my personal conviction. Does that, is that clear? Or is that confusing? Yeah. Cool. Any other questions on, on that? The Bride of Christ? What? <laughs> Can I just stay in my seat? Um, so can you, can you just expand a little on, are, are you talking about people who are not pursuing Christ in the way that they sh- should, according to God's word? Like, like you know how um, we talk about kind of lukewarm Christians. Can you just kind of um, 
clarify exactly what you mean by, if you can, what kind of what the distinction is there? So, um, yeah, I would say it's 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 not just a matter of your own ability to pursue. It's more who you're becoming. So, um, if I say, for example, like with Levi, he's he is a son, but he's not living out the fullness of what that relationship could be. Not because. Um, of any other reason but he's young and he's immature but he will and so to me it's um, it's the ability to actually live out what what this um, what it means to be a pure and spotless bride so it's um, so it's it's less about the things that you do and more about who it is that you've become. You've actually genuinely transformed. You've you've changed. You've become like him. And so that to me is more what it means to be the bride of Christ. And in that there will be an element of seeking, pursuing, asking, knocking, laying hold of. Um, but it's it's not like a. Um, an equation where you you spend half an hour seeking him and you receive necessarily half an hour of this revelation within you. It's there's I don't know. It's it's so hard to it's so hard to describe. You seek in the hope that by his grace he'll reveal in you a greater measure of who he is and and you'll be transformed. So does that clarify? Or? So kind of what we've talked about with the whole surrendering process, like the more we are surrendering to the work that he is doing in us, it's actually nothing about what is possible in us, but about <clears throat> what he's doing through us as we surrender. Absolutely, absolutely. So, that, so that's the process we go on to be able to live to a, a standard that he's given. So we are to live to a standard that's given in him and be faithful and obedient to that standard which the first one is the great commandment. So the great commandment is a standard. It's an expectation that God has that we are to live to by being changed and transformed. So he's looking, going, I have expectations that you're going to demonstrate a reality and my power has made it all possible. Okay? And your faithfulness and your obedience to do my will is going to determine whether you will be here or not. It's not about my love for you. It's about your faithfulness and your obedience to me to do my will. So if we're not doing the Father's will, we're not being faithful. So as a bride, we're not faithful to the groom. We're not obedient to the groom. So he says, if you love another more than me, you're not worthy of something. So it's about love. So what are you not worthy of, even though his blood has made you worthy? But you're not living to a standard that he's going to judge you by on judgment day. So it is fully possible to live the life that Christ lived on earth. That is the standard that we are laying our lives down for. Yeah. So to not meet that standard, which is the bridal standard, the bride has made herself ready so she's let go of her life, she no longer lives, she has completely surrendered, and she is saying, Father, build me from the inside out so I can be faithful and obedient to accomplish your will 
through the power of your spirit. That is the standard that God has laid out in his word. So we're all loved, all covered, and the challenge is will we actually become her so we can live like him? You know, so there are things to do. It's called the will of God. The first thing you do is to believe. So in John, the first work is to believe in the words that God says. You know, and that's not just our mental agreement. That is an absolute conviction through the power of the Spirit, I believe. So now I go on a journey of entering to the fullness of everything that's written in that book. And that would become my reality. And so I live that out. And the virgins is a classic example of that. There's ten foolish ones and wise ones. And that's a picture to show us which one do you want to be. I love both, but five were asleep and five were awake. And so it's based on our faithfulness and our obedience to the covenant of marriage. Hence, he gives us the physical type of a marriage covenant on earth. If I'm not faithful and obedient to my marriage covenant with Danielle, it's probably not going to last. But see what he says in this. He says, give me, I'll give you an example. Let's say Danielle is unfaithful to me in marriage. Is there a love in here that's greater than human love, incorruptible love, to cover her unfaithfulness, in the hope that this would keep oneness. Can you hear what I'm saying? Is there a love in my heart that goes, I'm going to forgive you? Imagine if it was multiple times because she's broken. This is what he's done for us. So we're in covenant. Are we breaking covenant? Having other lovers, okay, being disobedient, But his love is covering us, saying, I'm not going to break covenant with you. And I hope you're going to get a revelation of my love so you will turn, leave your other lovers behind, and actually start living in covenant with me. See, his love is uncorruptible. You get a sniff of that in you, then you can live like it to others to maintain oneness. But see, it's the faithfulness and the obedience to him. And that's why we must pursue him with all we have, to find him. And allow him to enter the deepest inner parts of our lives to get healed of insecurities and fears and jealousies and all that stuff. So actually we can actually live it out. And oh and I think like so so Greg just said there's a there's a standard for us to live to. And I think that like and when we hear that, we'll either go one of two ways. We'll either go, oh, that's lame. Um, I guess Christianity probably wasn't for me. Um, I've tried. uh, I've never been able to meet that goal, you know. Or you hear what... So we're just talking about faith and revelation. Revelation is when you hear that and you hear... um, you don't just hear words, you hear what the word of God actually is, which is, oh, there's a standard that I can live to, that there's a capacity and a power and a life that's a, that can live inside of me 
that can enable me to live in a way that I never could before. And I think to me that that's the real key, um, especially hearing the message of the bride of Christ because it can be disempowering or it can be empowering depending on our ability to hear the word of God. Um, and so I feel like that's a, that's a real key one. Um, and, you know, Joe shared a message a while back and it was about Mary and Mary's response when the angel came to her and said that you were going to um, have this um, child birthed in you by the Holy Spirit. And she said, may it be done to me according to your word. And I think that that's the response of faith. She saw something and that 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 word didn't just tickle her mind and interest her. It, that word actually, like when she submitted to it, actually formed a baby inside her her womb. You know, and so that's what the word of God does. When we hear it as it actually is, we receive it and it changes us. And and Paul says he says he talks about it. Um, you know, he says that that God who called him from his mother's womb was pleased to reveal Christ within him. And so when you, when you read throughout the New Testament, I haven't done a study or anything, but I haven't come across a time where I've noticed where it talks about Christ being revealed to someone or to someone's mind or to their... It almost always says that Christ was revealed within them or Christ revealed within more, than, more often than not. So I think it's like, like we were saying before, revelation actually produces genuine change within you that you're, you're different, you know? So... So does that mean if one doesn't come into the fullness of uh, being the bride of Christ on earth, when you go to heaven, uh, you're not going to be the bride of Christ and the ones that did come into the fullness will forever be his bride? It's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Simple terms, yes. Um, we're all given a measure of him, and we're all given a measure that he expects. And for some, it's given more than others, but ultimately, it's the same amount of weight in, in the spirit. So let's just say Sam is given more than me. Okay? So he might have five talents, and I've got one talent, but there's an expectation we both do with it what he has given us. Okay? So it's not about his is heavier than mine because he's five and one. No, because he's been graced for five and I've been graced for one. But the expectation is, Greg, what did you do with your one to the gracing I gave you? What did you do with the five of the gracing I gave you? There's no excuses either way. Okay? So <clears throat> the challenge is, is to now come into the fullness of the measure he has for us as individuals in accordance to faithfulness and obedience. So you have this will of God for the church, and then you see that, and that's a body, and then you have this individual thing happening underneath that where he works stuff out in all of us in accordance to the grace given us, meaning the grace for our lives to be changed and so on. So ultimately, to the measure that we're in, we need to live that to the fullest, and the things he asks us to do, we need to do. Okay? And there'll be difference in those things, but actually we all end up in the same place. Hence you've got these metaphors or pictures of bodies. Okay? So a little toe and an arm are very different. 
but they need to be operating. And the arm can do things the toe can't do, and the toe is just as important as the arm. But if the arm decides, I'll oh, see you later, I'm out of here, then the toe can't function on its own. See? So we're all a body, which is a picture of the bride, because he's not going to marry half a body. Okay? He wants to see a full body. So he wants to see, okay, go with the analogy, a head, arms, legs, a complete body he's going to, he's looking for. Yeah? So our challenge is to live as a body. And if we don't live as a body, you know, half of us in this room are living for the body, half of us are living as individuals. Well, that affects the whole. So God will reward those who lived for the body, even though they may have been part of a body that was fully functional. Because it'll be done to the reward of each own's work. You were faithful in your part to play as a finger. I wasn't. And let's just say I was an arm. And I live for me. Well, I'm going to get what I sow. So that's why he says, you know, you'll get out what you sow in. That's a, that's a life principle, seed time and harvest. Does that help? Yeah. I think it's, um, again, like Sam said, there's, there's things that can happen in your heart as you hear this. It's very absolute, and it is very absolute. Um, but there is the very thing that is cutting in is cutting in for a reason, um, and when, if, if the response that comes out of our heart is, I can't do it, you, you have to realise that that is the flesh that needs to die anyway, um, because that's truth, you can't do it. Um, so this, this whole thing of falling on the rock, the very word that brings the life into us, is the word that crushes us, our flesh. And so in all of this, what happens is that if we allow him to continue to do the, the crushing and we don't fly out of the process or, you know, that fear thing propels us and we allow ourselves to be propelled away but we stay in the pickle, you know, that the... the the very word is going to do that work where we will fall on the rock and we will stop having the, the default setting as our flesh, which says, I can't do it. Or the other side of it, I can do it. Both of them are flesh positions, you know, but the, the, the bride has had that broken so that she says, he can do it. He said it. He can do it. And I say, amen. It's simple. You know what I mean? So now his word is above my feelings and my flesh and my words. And now I'm in a position where I can actually live from him as my source instead of from me as my source. Do you see what I mean? And I think, like, this is a really big thing that we're talking about. Like, 
and the, the way that the world is going is that it's so PC, you know, and this is not like the Weetbix triathlon where everyone lines up at the start and you run your race and then there's no winners, everyone just gets a, the gold medal for participation, you know, <laughs> like, this is, like, like, that's, we all feel comfortable with that because it doesn't require us to take any kind of responsibility for our role. And God is so incredibly good, and he doesn't ask us a single thing that is outside of, of our capacity when we abide in him, you know? So everyone in this room has, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, where you've been, anything like that has the potential to be a pure, blameless, spotless bride from, from now, you know? And so... But not everyone will hear that word and will lay hold of it. And we have to get comfortable talking about reward because the Bible talks about it, you know. And when we talk about it, we can't go into an insecure place where we associate reward and we mix it and muddy it with identity, you know. Because these two things are totally linked, you know, that when we know that we're called, chosen before the foundation of it says that we've been called to be holy and blameless in his sight. And you say, yes, I, I accept that. I believe that. You receive that as your identity. That's who he's called you to be. And then you lay hold of it by faith and say, everything that you have accomplished for me, I now want to receive within me. And so it's, it's, does that make sense? It's both of those things. And then we're not crippled by rewards and loss we're motivated by it. And instead of having a fear of missing out, we have an excitement about entering into the fullness of the prize that's on offer. And there's a, 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 a hunger within us to, to move forward, to keep going, to claim that prize. So I hope that, I hope that helps. We need to know that we are righteous. Okay? So the work is finished. So we are blameless and we are spotless in his eyes. That then needs to manifest because that's in the unseen realm. Okay? I'd say for most of us, that's in, in the unseen realm. So that needs to come from the unseen realm into your known reality. So now you become that in reality. Are you tracking with me? So he washes us. We are perfect in his eyes. That's what enables us to enter into what Sam said. Okay? But now what has to happen? This is the work out your salvation. This is the bridal process. She's made herself ready. So with the spirit of truth, who is the guide, the teacher, she is in partnership with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to perfect the work, Philippians 1, six that he started when you cried out and got reconciled. So it's about becoming the finished article. Okay, The more you become perfect, be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5, for they are the sons of God. Okay? How perfect do you want to get? How mature? The bride is going to be a mature Bride, she's not going to be a two-year-old. Physical context, that would be weird. Everyone would scream if I came in here with a two-year-old and said, I just got married. You would all hopefully run at me and tell me off. Okay? You would say, no. Well, then that's the physical. Take it into the spiritual. He's not going to marry an immature little girl. 
He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness to become the bride of Christ as a church, as the body. This is why it's never about me and God. And that thing we say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, the language is all messed up anyway. I don't need to go. When you understand you are the church, you understand your role in the bride. It's ludicrous to say, because you're throwing away your inheritance. You say that because you don't have his mind. So you're living from your mind. And so we have to realize it's he wants to save our spirit. He wants to save our soul, and he wants to save our body. So he starts in the innermost being, the spirit. So we're all saved, righteous by Christ in us. But your mind, your will, and your emotions are a work in process. Hence, revelation is what you need to have your mind renewed. Otherwise, you'll still think like you, which means you won't live like the bride. If your will is still yours and hasn't been smashed and you're now living for his will, then how can you be the bride? Because you're not living for his will. You're living for your will. Asking God to bless your will. It's your plans, thus says the Lord. No, it's your plans, not his plans. You're living for you, not him. And if you're living by your emotions all the time, when bad stuff happens or someone comes with the word of the Lord and says something you don't like because it affects your feelings, then you get all emotional and go, up yours, see you later. Okay, So that's not getting your soul, mind, will, emotions saved. That's the opposite of that. Then you manifest that in your body. But when your soul is saved, the last part is your body follows in an alignment to the inner realm. Why would I be found there when my inner realm has been changed? See, you're just not. You're not trying to not be found there. You're no longer desiring to be there because you have a brand new inner realm. The thought that took you there is now longer in your head. You have a brand new mind. He takes you that way. So that will be the bride of Christ. But that's where the war is won or lost in the soul. See, that's back to your question. Everyone in Christ has been betrothed to be Christ. But not everyone in Christ lets God save their soul. That's where the battle is between flesh and spirit. Not against the enemy, which the church is taught primarily. The enemy is secondary and he throws darts to your mind, your mind, your will, your emotions. Don't live for that. Live for you. Live for you. If did God really say? Did God really say? Surely you won't die. Take that thing. Do this. See? Hence the armor that you need to have on, which is Christ. But you can reject and resist the truth. Jesus, as a follower. Well, if you do that, then on judgment day, he's going to say, I love you, but you weren't faithful to me. And you weren't obedient. And I sent you that person, that person, that person, that person, that person, that person, and myself your entire life, and you rejected it all. But I don't reject you, but you reject me. How can you be mine when you rejected me? Away from me, I don't know you. That's not heaven and hell, that scripture. He's not sent him to hell. I just don't know you. I'm sorry. You might knock on the door, but the door is shut. You're in the kingdom, but you're not in the inner chamber. Okay. Great question, Bella. 
See where one question goes? <laughs> Next. So we've touched on this a bit already, but what would you say um, pursuing being the bride looks like in every day? I think um, again, the to have the the, the this eternal purpose for God uh, that God has for us to be His bride, to be built by Him. That's the thing that brings the change, you know. Because and until that is revealed, you just think you know it, and you just keep on living your life the normal way. But when you know now that this is the very reason why you exist, then life has to come into alignment to prioritise that. And for me, that's not just my relationship with him. It is just as much my relationship with the body. Because, um, and this is something that I, you know, is... In terms of my my life as a Christian, it's more recent than the other, um, because primarily it was all about me and him. But to understand the way he builds us, and the fact that this isn't going to happen outside of us being one, um, means that I I need to pursue things according to the way he builds, not the way that is convenient for me. So what would be convenient is that I would just sneak away and have my own little build me Lord session and I'm not actually in the place where the openness of that work is with others and that they are able to speak. They are able to, I'm, I'm able to receive from these gifts that God has, Jesus has actually poured out for the very purpose of building his bride, the church, the body. So if, if, I, if, if I truly have understood that, that this is the reason why I'm here, my role is within that body to be um, flowing in what he, he has given me to give and also to be receiving from others what he has given to build us together. And that whole thing looks like love, looks like oneness. And prayer is going to be number one. So, and obeying what he is saying and calling the body to is going to be number one. Not what I think he's calling me to, but what he's calling the body to. So prayer has to be at the top of it, you know, and and prioritising what he is doing here. So... Um, for, for me, it's like coming to 
um, a revelation of the Bride of Christ has totally revolutionized everything to do with my life and especially my day-to-day life and what that looks like. Like, So I, I feel it's, it's brought such a sense of purpose to the everyday mundane things of life, you know, that, um, so for example, um, challenges at work with my boss being treated unfairly my entire perspective of that situation is now completely different to how it always would have been previously, then I see it as such an opportunity to allow him um, to not um, to both work within me and now I've got an opportunity to shine and radiate an, another spirit, another kind of love where I'm not just living for me and my own career, but I'm able to serve him and, and, and love him. It, it relates to like my relationship with with Tess and family life and Levi that having a child isn't just a frustration and a hindrance, it's, a, it's an opportunity and it's an environment for growth and for learning and change where now it's, it's not just about some, how someone else is behaving that is having a detrimental impact on my life and on my time and you know it's, it's, an, it's an environment and an opportunity to love and to demonstrate a different kind of love to Tess, regardless of how she's treating me, or Levi doesn't really think about me ever, he only thinks about him, you know, so what better an opportunity to allow a work done to be done within me that I'm not living for myself, I'm, and in learning how to love him, really it's, it's I'm having a, this love that Greg was talking about before, an incorruptible love formed in me, and it's simply an environment where I'm being prepared for my greater marriage, which is with him, you know, and so it's brought real meaning to, to the day in, day out, um, and it, it takes it from being a drag to being like divinely charged with opportunity at every moment, you know, for myself, but also to be able to share that and, um, you know, with, um, with people who give you absolutely weird looks where you, or just don't understand the way that you live or what you're living for. Um, and so it's... It's awesome. I, th- I think that the challenge is no one can see our inner realms. So, you know, I could say, oh, you know, for me, I, I spend a certain amount of time in prayer. Well, what does that look like? And I describe it. And so then someone tries to copy that. But it's not about the external, yeah? So it's all about your inner realm. Do we have the correct operating system within us? Because that's going to influence how I pray, hear from the word, uh, from, the, from him, uh, how I receive the word, how I reach out, how I love, all those things. And that's the challenge in Christianity, is that we need to have his inner life. And yet that can only be formed through him. And so, you know, like, well, how do we pray? Oh, well, let's copy the formula. Don't done. Let's go. Anything happen? Nah. But we prayed. You know, and it just applies for every single thing. Like, how do we love? Oh, we're going to make a whole bunch of cookies and we're going to go invade the neighborhood with cookies. But it actually wasn't love. But it looks like love. And I think this is the challenge because it's, 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 it's mysterious. It's spiritual. It's, it's got to be, he's got to bring you into this reality. Um, for me, you know, I, 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 I'm praying more than what I had. At the same time, I'm, I'm just living as well. And it's like, you know, he's constantly speaking. So I'm constantly praying and he's constantly speaking. And he speaks anywhere and everywhere. And so I carry my phone with me, not to check it, but to take notes. Because I never know when he's going to speak. 
you know, and I try not to drive and take notes. <laughs> um, wipe that from the recording. Um, but, but it's this continuous posture within that enables this life to flow. But from the outside in, it just looks like we're doing the same thing. And that's what's always fascinated me. When people come here, they go, oh, is there anything any different? Some people have come that were part of the rock years ago and have come back, oh, there's nothing different. They go, man, it is so different. But we still start at the same time. We still have a band. We still we haven't changed the seats around and pointed them the other way. We haven't changed the building. No, it's us. And that's why the, the change is us. I want to change you. And so often we're about, no, it's the other person. Yeah, you know? It's all about us. And that is not selfish. That is selfless. Because if it's all about my transformation, and if we all said we're all going to be changed, then you'll have the body and the bride that the scripture speaks of. That's why I said I love myself this morning. Because I love who I'm becoming in him. Not the old Greg, the new Greg. Then you can love your neighbour like you love you. Because you've got something of worth to love them with. Your new identity. Have we answered? Yep. Great question. I've, I've got two related questions, uh, but bear with me on a quick wind-up. So one of the things I did last night was had a look at the Bible Project video on Ephesians. And they were talking a lot about the unity of Christ being different from the uniformity of, within the body. And second quick point, um, I love how there are great parallels on that theme in Colossians 3, particularly verses 12 through 17. And I'll just read verses 14 through 15. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So my two questions. Firstly, what do you understand is the difference between unity and uniformity within the body? I get that's a tough one. And secondly, and this is possibly leading, you may want to contradict some of it, um, in terms of how we live within Christian community, our relations to one another, do you think that that peace of Christ implies that we've got greater obligations within the Christian community as opposed to outside of it or just different obligations? It's about working together. Okay, we'll tackle question one. Um, what, just explain to me uh, uniformity. The meaning I was, of it. I was wanting to de- deliberately leave it open, but if I were to take the word... On its own, I would assume that everything looks like the other. So if you look at the concrete just behind you, it's got a uniform pattern. Yep. Um, you've already touched on part of where I think you might go with the answer in a couple of places, but I deliberately wanted to leave it open. Okay. Um, I mean, true unity can only be found in him. The word... I, and this is where it's, uh, I thought you were going to say conformity. Um, so generally there's unity and conformity, yeah, um, which are very different things. Um, so unity in the spirit is of Christ. 
which we're to be maintaining, preserving, I think the Bible says, which means we're to know it because we're in Christ. So unless we are in Christ and growing in Christ, we won't have spiritual oneness here. Okay? So it's unity of the Spirit. So Christ, God, is the Spirit. So I must know the things of the Spirit to be one in Spirit. Okay? Fellowship with Father, Son, Spirit, one another. So we can all be in relationship, but not necessarily be in fellowship. Because fellowship is a greater oneness of oneness with God, Father, Son, Spirit, one another. Okay? So oneness and spirit only comes through knowing Christ. The more we all know Christ, the greater the oneness we are. We don't go after oneness. You don't try to be one with one another. If you're in Christ, growing in Christ, you're one with one another. It's an outcome. So when he says, I pray that you would be one as we are one, it's Christ in us that creates that oneness, which is the fellowship, the common union we have with the Father, Son, and the Spirit, which John in Revelation, John, John invites us into. So he says, we have fellowship, we have spiritual oneness, maturity with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And he uses the word we, so it's John and a whole lot of other people have this oneness, this fellowship, and he invites the church into that, okay, to have this depth of oneness, true unity. The challenge is we, we think by putting a goal on the wall with a task, let's go reach the city and get 10,000 people saved, and we accomplish that, we go, look, we're all one. We have one unity of spirit. No, not necessarily. You might, but that doesn't determine whether we are one in spirit. Okay? That's why when you're actually in a room like this and in other rooms, that's what the wrestle is for, is for the truth, Jesus in us. So we can't just say we're all one because we all have Christ. Now there's truth to that, but it's not the whole truth. That's why there'd be no division in the body, would there? Think about it. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Greg, I'm of Sam, and I'm of Sam. That wouldn't exist the more we are one in spirit. So our oneness comes from him, which then we now look like one body. Okay, So you could say, there's Greg, there's Sandra, there's whoever, there's whoever, there's Sam. We are one body, but we're different people. And how we function are differently, but we're still one wall. But inside that, and the operating system's all the same, but how it outworks itself is different. So this is where the diversity comes within the oneness, but it's still one. So how each three people share and preach will be different, but hopefully it's the same truth being spoken. Hopefully we have this growing oneness of spirit. That's why to know him is our purpose. That's all you need to know him. So there's this duality where we're actually an arm, a leg, and an ear, but we're actually one body. So that's what uniformity means. I'm not 100% sure that's why. But then there is conformity, which is completely fleshly, which is what I just said before. So I don't know this, you know, but Johnny touched on it. We'll have an event, and the body turns up. Look at the oneness of the church. Maybe, 
maybe not. You'll know when a truth is spoken that is the truth with power, which starts to challenge hearts and mindsets where true oneness actually is. If you start manifesting anger, there's a good evidence there's a lack of spiritual oneness in you. If, you're, if you manifest the deeds of the flesh more than the fruit of the spirit, there's a problem. You're not the problem, but you're not being built. Jesus did not manifest the deeds of the flesh when he was tested, trialed, and tribulation. All that came out of him was oneness with his Father, love, joy, peace. These are the fruits of oneness because you're one with him. And just to throw it in, here's the problem for the church, is we actually try to be one with one another first. And we value human relationships over that relationship, and it's a recipe for disaster. Because as soon as me and this guy have a disagreement, relationship goes. As soon as he leaves, God calls him somewhere else, oh, I feel so sad. So spiritual relationship with the Christ forms spiritual oneness with Christ and his church. That is a bond that cannot be broken. Do not value human relationship over your relationship with the Father. It'll get you in trouble. Hence, he says, unless you love me more than everyone else, you'll never follow me. He's not trying to say you're bad. He's saying if you love a mother, father, brother, sister, a position, you can't be my disciple because you won't come where I'm going. Understand? You, you physically can't. You may want to, but your flesh will fail you. Okay? So oneness is only found in him. And that's why it's all about us and him being transformed and from there, we have a one body. Cool. Um, great. Yeah, good, good question. I think, um, like, true, like, you can be totally unified and both people be in complete deception, you know? And so this is why it's not, like, when we talk about what unity is, I, I like what, Greek was saying it is unity in Christ. So if you're truly united with Christ, you can expect that you will have the same love in your heart for people that Christ has. You know, you just have the same compassion, the same mercy, the same gentleness because you've you've truly become like Him on the inside through faith, through revelation that we've already that we've already touched on. Um, so I feel like that's that's a real key. It's not just what is. Uh, what is unity? It's, it's you're united, united in Him, and you should be able to see, like, he, even here amongst us, for, even for Greg and I, there's, I, I can't think of a person who was more different from me in any way than Greg would be. You know, <laughs> louds, um, <laughs> likes to wear fancy clothes, <laughs> no hair. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just being silly, but even even in our even in the style of speaking and of preaching, you know, like you know, you'll, you'll see that like the way that Greg delivers something will be completely different to the way that I deliver something. The examples that I use will be different to the examples that he uses. The way that he approaches preparation, it, it's com- the styles are so different, and yet you'll hear 
a synergy in what we're saying that isn't because of our articulation of certain words, but it's because we've both been somewhere in the spirit and we've received something. So our unity isn't based on trying to act like the other person acts, but because we've received what each other has received and are living from that. And that's what allows such freedom and diversity that I don't actually have to try and be like him. I'm not copying him at all. I'm imitating him, not his actions and his behavior. But I've but through receiving the revelation that's in him and through him and on him that he lives by, I've entered into that same heartbeat and I'm able to share, not because I've copied him, but because I've received from that same well and I'm drinking from it day in, day out as he is, you know? So you can see here, it's, there's, a, there's a unity that really only is found in him and not in trying to, to act or behave like someone else, you know? So it's so freeing, eh, that you don't have to try and be like other people. You can be the best your, yourself, you know. Um, they, we don't need any more Gregs in this place, let's be honest, you know. But we need a few more Liverpool fans. <laughs> but we don't need any less Gregs. And if I'm not the best... Could have said that first, <laughs> and, and you, like, and that... True humility is to say that you guys actually need the best me that I can possibly be in this community. And if I don't play my role to the fullest extent, you guys are all going to miss out. And if you don't play your role to the fullest extent, we are all going to miss out. And so that is perfect humility, knowing not that you are like elevating yourself to some high and lofty place, but you're recognizing that actually as a body, we're all about the same thing, which is becoming his bride. And by each of us playing our role, we come into the fullness of everything that's on offer, not because we're mutually life-sucking and dependent on each other, but because we know that there is greater opportunity when we all um, give and receive from one another in a genuine and real way. So it's awesome, eh? It's awesome. Can you just repeat the second question again, Roy? I thought Sam was kind of touching on that one. Um, do we have greater obligations within as opposed to outside the Christian community? And maybe I'll just take that one step further, uh, building on the answer we just heard. So... I don't want to go too far into differences in interpretation because that's always a sticky area. Um, as per Ephesians 1, 17, 18. But also, in terms of this example, what if I'm aligned? What if I'm hearing and following God's will appropriately, but some other believer is not? And this is why I drew the distinction between believers and non-believers because... As per the start of Sam's answer, we are called to love as Christ has loved. How do we work it out? What if the other person is not appropriately aligned? Love just covers. Um, so I think 10 years ago I would have said to you, it's more important that the church reaches a lost world than it does reach one another. And I don't have that view any longer, you know. I believe that the pattern that God lays out is him first, um, the establishment of his body second, and thirdly, a lost world. Because the lost world needs to see 
a manifested body on the earth that looks like love. And so the church must become love for them to see that. Hence, John 17, I believe, is the greatest evangelism strategy that is laid down in Scripture, which is to um, become one. And as we become one, what we're talking about, spiritual oneness, then a lost world knows Jesus was sent for them. I mean, that is incredible to me, and I know that's fully possible in him, that we can get to such a degree of oneness in Christ as individuals that as a body we manifest love like Christ manifested love, and a world that's looking for love would taste it of God's people. And so that's to me, is the greatest evangelism strategy, but that's what requires us to become what we say we are. See, Because until we become it, you can't live it. And so what they see isn't love. You know, and who, who, would, who would be the best uh, group of people to ask what we are known for as a whole? You know? So as a whole, you wouldn't actually ask the church. You'd go ask the people that aren't followers and say, what are these group of people known for in your eyes? And that's where the answers can be quite horrific. Even though they can be, yeah, I know some people that are. They go to part of you know that family. Yeah, they love me. They're great. That's cool. But as a general sense, you know, if you take Christianity as a whole, you know, with the different denominations, I don't think you're going to get an answer love. I think you'll get hypocrisy, self righteous judgmentalism, probably as the two most things, which is true, because we're not entering into God's first place priority which is the commandment. See, and this is why I wrote the book, and there is so much waiting to be discovered in that great commandment that the church hasn't even tapped into yet. And yet the problem is the church thinks it loves God. That's our problem. There is a blindness in this room that you are completely unaware that you're blind of. That's the problem. See, and it's like, when you fall upon the rock and get broken into pieces, you are made aware of how blind you are. It doesn't mean you can see. You're aware you can't see, which creates a brand new hunger for something that you never had a hunger before because you don't realize you were blind. And so the whole thing about belief, there are unbelieving followers. And they believe, but they're in unbelief as well. Because belief is not mental agreement. There's a massive difference between confessing Christians and in Christ Christians. Yeah? Massive difference. Oh, I believe in this, I believe in that, and I believe in this, but I don't live what I believe. The in Christ follower lives out that in Christ life. So there's plenty of unbelief. In us. The problem is we don't think there is. <laughs> Trust me. I didn't think there was in me. And there still is. But see, when you're awakened to the fact that there is, you're repostured, you're repositioned. Now you have a passion for things you never had a passion for. There's a reason why we're not in the life we're not in. And when you fall upon the rock, see, the Holy Spirit shows you. But no human can show you. You can't show yourself. 
no other human being can show you. Another person can come to you and try and help you and tell you <laughs> of a reality at the risk of their own life. See, and that's what love does because it's one with the Father. So a person who's in a great oneness because they've transitioned, which is back to um, Harriet's question before about you know, your personal time. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a process from being a non-follower to coming into following with a breaking down reality that creates life in you that now has you seeing things that you couldn't see before and you're made aware of realities that you didn't even know exist. But you're looking at them, but no one else sees them. But love is propelled to share with a blind group of people in the hope that a blind, deaf group of people, which we all are, at some point are ready to hear and see. And that's where the timing of God is incredible. You know, the same word's been going out here for 10 years. Some of us are only starting to hear it now. But it's been in the airways for 10 long years. Same message, in, going out. This is just the pattern of Scripture. It's not we're bad, but it is the reality of the spiritual dimension we're involved in and part of. And it's almost like, you know, you fall and you're now made aware. And so where before, where you were like, I don't get that, don't get that. Now you're hungry to go and seek out what you didn't even have a hunger for before to understand it. And it's all tied in with your spiritual oneness in him. And then as that builds as us, we become this light of the world. Now you have something to offer the world. You have a person you know intimately. You have a true testimony of transformation. Not, yeah, he saved me from my sin when I was 19. As great as that is, do you know what I mean? To a non-follower, that's like, yeah, well, what's sin? Oh, that's nice. I don't even believe that stuff. But when you share of the transformative work of, you know what, I struggled with this and I struggled with that and I had this issue and I was addicted to that and he has set me free and they see the manifestation of Christ coming out of you. Not you, the work he's done in you. Now there's a true testimony, see? It's like, wow, you're like me. And you, you no longer, how did that happen? Well, it's because of a true work that God has done in the church. You're no longer just telling them about heaven and hell, which is the truth. You're telling them about your personal transformation, which one, they can't argue with, and two, they can't say, well, that never happened because you're in front of them and they're actually receiving the manifestation of it. Hence, that's the love. You can minister the love of God to somebody. We're commanded to be ministers of love, but it starts in this house. It starts in the body of Christ. Otherwise, you've got nothing to give them. And they look and go, you're supposed to be people of love. You don't even love yourselves. You fight. You're like us. Why would I want your God? He's not very powerful, obviously. You profess a reality, but you don't live. I want the real thing. So we are ambassadors of heaven, are we not? comes with much responsibility to call yourself a disciple because you're supposed to be representing, me too, our Father in that world. So what sort of a letter are we? The church needs to wake up. Like I say that in love, but really wake up. 
90% of the church is asleep okay? to the reality that's for her. Okay? There are things to come into. Oneness to a mature measure. And then a world would know that he was sent. And they'd come running. He reaches lost people while we're getting built. And while we're getting built, we're sharing true testimonies of the building work he's doing in us. And you become a light and salt. And it's attractive. And they may be a little bit scared of it, but some of them will want it. But remember, the outcome's him, not us. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm not trying to convert anybody to anything. I just want to let my light shine and let the light do all that. It's such a restful place to be. There and in here. Oh, um, what, what Bella asked before about the two people, uh, one going and, and like one staying, was she, was she speaking scripture about there were two in the field, one was taken away and one stayed and one, two were lying in bed, one was taken away? I don't think Bella was referring to that passage, no. It wasn't no. She was just saying that what, what's going to be the difference. Well, were you? Is that what you were referring to? I was all right. Yes, she was just referring to the difference between the bride that will be and the bride that won't be. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, hello? Uh, um, my question is this, is that um, although we're all in the body of Christ and we all kind of aspire to not be like Greg or like you, Sam. <laughs> but to be one in the body, although we're different. I was asking merely that so we can be as a, a body the same kind of move, we are all sinners in, 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 in the church or in, in life, yeah? Why do we... Not talk about the sin that we that we do. So, so for me, instance, I might swear a lot. Yeah, I don't really. But let's. Uh, <laughs> Is that a false confession? Fifty-fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Lukewarm. <But>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that's my sin, you know. And, and what's your sin? Or what's yours? We don't talk about that. We don't talk, to, talk about that, although we're still a body of Christ. And I, I kind of feel that if we bring the sin out into the world, into the light within ourselves, although the finger does a different sin to the, to the arm, but if we talk about the sin more, then we'll be a more conformity, a more better body of Christ. Would you no. say you're more... Sin conscious or sun conscious? Let's have a look outside. <laughs> um, Are you more conscious of your sinning or your sonship? No, I, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, don't, I don't try to be more conscious about my sin, but I just kind of feel that 
that's a thing that's kind of in a hush in church. We don't talk about it much. We do we do uh, apologize for sins and pray for not doing them again, and we all do a different sin, but we don't talk about the actual sin because I feel like you're the pastor. You don't do much sin, but you're still a sinner. In what ways are you a sinner that I can aspire to be more like you? And if I... If I kind of know what you do, then maybe I can learn from that, or what you don't do, or maybe you must ask your wife. Yeah. So, what you're really saying is talking about um, pasts and struggles and past stuff to help people get through their stuff. Yeah. And yeah. It, it could be the past, or it could be the present. Yeah. Yeah, t- totally. I mean, I, I, I would say, and you've only just been here a little while, that, that we're a pretty honest church. And I know for me, I've shared openly from the pulpit of my past and my struggles. Um, but that's not where I want to focus. And because my sin is dead. So I don't want to preach and talk about sin that's dead. I want to talk about sonship and get my eyes off me and onto the Lord. So I am a sinner saved by grace, but I am a son now. So sonship defines my life, not sinnership, because that's my dead life. Even though as a son, I still may slip up. Yeah? But I don't want to bring that, not for the sake of feeling stink, because I don't care, but for the fact that I'm, I don't want to teach sin, I want to teach sonship. So Paul said, I'm a son, although I still sin, even though I am the greatest sinner. That's not where his focus is. That's not where our focus is to be. So yes, we're all on a process of change, but we're actually now sons. Our identity is sonship. So if we spend more time thinking about what we're not than what we actually are called to be, then our consciousness is sinners. You're saved, which means... You need to come into a greater understanding of righteousness and what the blood has done for you because that's not what we're, where we're supposed to be focusing at all. That isn't to undermine helping people out of the things they struggle with. But part of that is actually the revelation of sonship, not looking at the sin because that's dead. I find the more you look at your sin, the more entangled you get in it, not out of it. Yeah, that's right. And so it's about knowing who you are so you never go back there. Because at the end of the day, it's dead. Why does a dog return to its vomit? Because it still thinks there's life in vomit. It's horrible, but that's why it's there, isn't it? Because we don't know of a greater reality. So I hope that's helped. Um, Yes, we're all sinners who are now sons, who all still have issues that we're working through, 100%. And in discipleship, we can bring that into the light with one another, with people we trust, so they can be praying for us and encouraging us. And we know that's not going to go any further than the bond of oneness, of unity that we have. But let's keep our eyes on him. And that'll just naturally change. So the more you know him, the less you'll swear. It's just an outcome of knowing him. Because he'll change the thought that creates the language. You get a new mindset, the language changes. 
you know. And that's just, thank you for being so honest, but, you know, my examples are other things. I mean, for years, I've, you know, as a non-Christian, struggled with looking at stuff, um, you know, and he's healed me in that area. And it's a healing, do you know what I mean? So that, if you want to call that, could be my Achilles heel, you know. Um, so I've struggled in that, and we're all struggling with different things. And also the challenge with stuff is we like to rate it. You know, we rate it, you know. But the most horrific one is self-righteousness and hypocrisy. You know, those are the things I believe he disdains because they kill. They kill someone else, you know. And and that's exactly what I mean. Like, now you're saying it. Now you're saying, well, this is is a problem. But if we all speak about it and feel more open. I, I know people talk and you don't want to talk to people and you don't trust people and... People talk outside the group, and then you kind of feel um, taken on, taken aback with it, or whatever. But if we talk about our sins, like like me, for instance, I'm I'm an ex-druggie, yeah, and um, drug dealer, drug whatever. But I'm cured of that, and I can help people with that. You know, I can help people to overcome it when people know about it. And if I speak about my sin, that's been a problem, and how I overcame it, and how I can, like, not look at things, then you can help a fellow man which doesn't know that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Um, I guess it's it's a matter of percentages. Like, how long do you want to spend talking about that stuff compared to how long do you want to talk about sonship and those things? You know. And I think I think we we obviously you know like the garden is a classic example of this. You know, you're free to eat from any trees. There's faith right there. There's God's number one position. He doesn't go, hey, watch out for that tree, and you're free to eat from all the trees. He says, you're free to eat from all those trees, just be wary of that one. See, what our flesh does, it always identifies the problem, not the promise. But God always identifies the promise not the problem, even though both are in the picture. But which way round is it? Are you promise-focused or problem-focused? Flesh will always be problem-focused. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Here I am, here I am, here I am again. I'm useless. Not, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is what I'm called to be, I'm this. And this thing I'm, he's working with me on. I was just going to, very quickly, I was going to say, like, for, for a long time, the, like, the gospel has just been preached as a message of come to Jesus and he'll forgive you from your sin and then you go to heaven when you die. But that's actually a very small, very small part of a much bigger story, which is before you were born, God had chosen you before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, to be part of his bride, to be a son. It's, and it's that, it's that message that brings the ultimate freedom as opposed to just, here I am, I've stuffed up, sorry for my sin, and then you just keep doing it over and over again. It's what you are called to. That's what motiv- ultimately will motivate you to live for something greater than what you were living for before. And so I think that that's, that's real key as well. Because that sorry and 
You know, oh. <laughs> that sorry and that repentance is such a different thing. Like I, I can go round that mountain of sorry, 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 but I'm still stuck in the swamp of flesh. I'm still stuck in the mindset. But I've got to want to go on the rock the, and break that pattern ultimately. And that's when I'm abiding in him. Is that right? You said something in your last time you spoke, and that really stuck out to me, is that sorry, and I don't know what word you that, but I heard it as sorry and repentance is quite a different thing. And I don't know what my question is, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But I, so. I suppose it's not even why. I know why I go around that familiar mountain of I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for the same thing every time. Is that because something isn't broken? I haven't released. Great question. So I say we could, for example, on a Sunday morning, you know, great sermons being preached. We do an altar call for all of those people who are struggling with this, 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 and this. They need help with this or this or this. And people come up, you know, people come up to the altar and there's tears and it's messy and it's emotional and... And yet everyone walks out the door and then the next week we do an altar call and it's for the same things and the same people there week in, week out, right? And so like, we can, so often it can be easy to relate to something that is like that we're struggling with because it's emotional, but it's not apologizing or feeling emotional about it or saying sorry that will actually produce change. It's, it says you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so we'll continue to repeat the same pattern until we receive truth on the inside. And I think that this is what Greg was sharing about last week with the helmet of salvation. It's when your thinking changes and your perspective changes, then you'll start living differently and you won't be coming up to the altar for prayer for the same thing that you did five years ago or the sin that you committed 30 years ago that you're still anxious about because your thinking has changed. You've been renewed in the spirit of your mind that you now see things differently. You see yourself through his blood. And so when you come up to the altar, you don't repent of what, you don't say sorry for what you've done. Your mind's changed and you actually now see who you've become in him, and you stop thinking about the things you always thought about, and so as a result, you've changed. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think we can generally, a lot, of, or a lot of the time, we can connect with something because it's emotional, but actually that, and, that, and sometimes that's good, you know, like you're saying, Ron, sometimes it's good to be walking with someone and say, yeah, I've, I've struggled with that too. But two people that have struggled with the same thing, it's doesn't two struggling people doesn't equal freedom, right? At some at some stage that has to like something has to happen where those two struggling people are made free, and so it's not my it's not your struggle that means that you can walk with someone and disciple them. It's it's truth, and so I don't have to have struggled with the same thing that you do because I know Christ and you need Christ, not someone who's gone through the same thing. And so for someone like myself who, um, like I've, I've shared before, doesn't necessarily have the sex, drugs, and rock and roll 
storyline, it actually doesn't matter because it's Christ that everyone needs regardless of where you come from. And when you see him and he's the truth within you, you change your mind, your, 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 your mind's changed, your heart's changed, you've changed, and so you're no longer uh, uh, you're struggling with the same old thing week in, week out. Does that answer? Yeah. Just this is um, so repentance is the Greek word uh, metanoia, a complete change of attitude, spiritual and morale toward God, to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude. That's massive. So that's repentance. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an inner work that needs to be broken through the receiving of the word. And that's what the power of the word does. It performs its work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, which you can't do. And so the natural is to be sorry. The spiritual is repentance. So when that word comes in, you're set free. And now you've truly turned. So for me, what was going to change my thinking around lost people are the greatest priority. It wasn't me doing study. It was the Father revealing his word in my mind, in my heart, to show me. That did come with tears Sunday morning when I lost it in front of everybody, and I asked them to forgive me because in my uh, lack of, I was leading people in a wrong direction. Still truth to it, but not in his direction. And that I've not been the same since, and neither has this place. So the change, it changed everything. So I no longer think like that, but at the same time, this whole church has changed its entire direction, which caused a massive upheaval, which repentance does. Oh, completely. Requires letting go. So I'll give you an example from an hour ago. So while Tess was singing up on stage, I was down in the back in the creche with Levi, and he loves those little cars that you drive around on, right? And so it was time for dinner, and I said, I said to him, I said, Levi, I'm going to get you out of the car. Um, he said, one more time, okay? So we did one, one more lap, and I said, cool, it's time to get out. Um, he, and I said, it's time to get out. We're, we're going to go and have dinner, and then we're going to come back, and you're going to be able to play on the car again. Now, he's old enough to comprehend what I'm... like. He, he's not a, a baby. He's, he can comprehend what I'm saying. But what... So he only heard, you've got to get out of the car, but he couldn't hear, hey, we're going to have dinner. You're really hungry. You haven't eaten for a while, and I'm going to bring you back, right? So he had an absolute meltdown. I'm not sure if you heard it from here. <laughs> And the crash when I said one more time, and that one more time was up, so I had to, you know, we're, we're making sure that we keep to our word, and so I literally had to pull him out of the car. And now, with Levi, the reason why, the reason why he behaved the way that he did is because when I said, hey, I'm going to give you your dinner and I'm going to bring you back, he couldn't trust that my word was true and what I said was true, right? If he in his mind, when I had said that, thought, oh, I'm actually really hungry, I love the car, but Dad has just said that I'm going to have dinner and then I'm going to come back and play in the car. 
Would his behavior be different? Totally, because his thinking would be different, right? So, so often we keep trying to address a behavior. Why, why are you not listening to me? Why aren't you getting out of the car? No, what needs to change is not his behavior. He's only behaving to the maturity level that he's in, right? His thinking needs to change. His understanding of me as his father, that I'm not just tearing him away from the car because I'm trying to be ruthless towards him. He's, he's been sick all day. He actually genuinely needs food, and I was going to give him food and then take him back to the car. So I think this is what repentance is, is that it would be in that moment, him learning that me as his father, I've only got good things for him, and I've only got his best intentions and the best intentions of the household at heart. And so it really relates to us and our relationship with him, right? Because as soon as you start to see him differently and you see others differently, you will totally change your behavior and the way that you relate. But any repentance that isn't from coming to a greater knowledge of who he is isn't genuine repentance. And so we need to actually come to know him in a real way, and that's when we change, is through knowing him, not through trying to behave differently. You know, so. It's not a swear word. Repentance is an awesome, life-giving word. A couple more questions and then we'll get out of here. Anyone know anything about fivefold? There's so much in Ephesians, man. Anyone want to know about Roy? I quite like uh, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 and pretty similarly in Philippians 1, both on the topic of discernment. Uh, nice, big, difficult topic. But um, I was just wondering if there was anything that you have personally found going through Ephesians that you got greater clarity or illumination on on a particular theme or topic from some other writing of Paul's or otherwise. Because you see these themes echoed time and time again. Sorry, can you just repeat that? Is there a theme or topic that you've found elsewhere outside of Ephesians that links back into Ephesians? that you found particularly meaningful, relevant, greater illumination, whatever? Um, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 6 is all about um, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, which is the bride of Christ, the greatest mystery. Um, so in all, the entire Gospels are linked to the same message. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I, my personal conviction, which I believe is of him, is the entire context for the scriptures is a marriage covenant. So every book is within it is pointing you towards the marriage covenant. And within the different books, the author says things differently, but ultimately, and it's all hidden for us to discover and yet it's written down in front of us. Um, so one, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 6 for me is a powerful, powerful uh, passage of scriptures speaking of the entirety of Ephesians. You know, he's basically saying that you've been led astray from the simplicity and the purity of a devotional relationship with Jesus. So when you ask the question, how, much, how many people in the body of Christ have a revealed 
a revealed position of the bride in their heart and mind, I think the enemy's winning the war. Because he says, I'm afraid you've been led astray in your mind. So he compares the fall of man to the fall that the church has been led astray from knowing Christ because everything is contained in Christ. And that's where he says other people come. That's the other gospels. I preached about it. Other gospel, different spirit, um, another Christ come and you beautifully accept what they bring. And so there's one passage, Colossians 2, 2 to 4 speaks of it. Revelations talks about the bride. Um, but ultimately you can look in the Old Testament and find the massive correlations between the bride. Um, Genesis talks about her. You know. So what I love is this, is that Isaiah wrote the end from the beginning. So God, he says, sorry, Isaiah says, God is the God who declares the end from the beginning. So what's at the end of the book? Okay, so if you go discover what's at the end of the book, and then you go discover what's at the beginning of the book, then you see the overall picture of what the whole thing's about. So then you realize that, well, at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So contained within the Jesus Christ is all things. And the Revelation talks about, Revelation 19, 7 to 8, talks about the bride has made herself ready. Then you go to the beginning of the book and it talks about the covenant between man and woman and the two shall leave. And what's that really all about, which is the great mystery. Okay, That's the purpose of marriage is not for us to be physically firstly connected. Yeah. It, there's a means towards a greater end. So the, the human marriage or covenant is a means towards a greater end. It's not an end in itself. That's why, and this is where it can be hard, he says don't be united with an unbeliever. See, when you understand the marriage covenant between Christ and his church, you'd never connect yourself with Baal. It's darkness. Now, there's grace and forgiveness and love for all that stuff because you have no understanding of what you've done, yet the Scriptures teach you. And that's the power of this revelation. When you actually see the, the end goal, then it defines your life. So obviously, I want to make you like a pure virgin, one that's never been with the world. Okay, So spiritually, not physically, Spiritually, I want to make you, perfect you back into one who has never been with the world system. The world system lives in all of us. It needs to come out through his power. His word needs to come in so we can live in alignment to the end. And so right in the middle is Philippians 1. I want to perfect the work I started. But what is it in alignment to? So if Jesus is the author of the story who was at the beginning with his father, with the Holy Spirit, who's the one that knows the whole story? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So he sends the Son to share. He sends prophets to share. He then sends the Spirit to share my message, to bring us into the fullness of what was established before the foundations of the earth. Because God declares the end, and then he goes back to the beginning. And the enemy tries to change the end, and he tries to change the beginning. But he can't. But he'll try. 
And so we have to come to this full reality. But it, it's everywhere, man. It is everywhere. But you have to have eyes to see. Hence, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in the knowledge of God. On the revelation of Jesus Christ, I'm going to build my people. It's all about how well we know him. Full stop. How do I get to know him? Holy Spirit, reveal him in me. Repentance, a lifestyle. One more, done. Are we done? All right. I would encourage us to continue to eat Ephesians. Um, it's about seeing what's there in you. So it's not about a mental understanding. It's about receiving mana. The formation of that enables us to live the life out that the entire scriptures calls us to. Yeah. So until we're living it, we don't know it. When we know it, we start to live it. Amen. Father, I thank you for what you're saying here. I thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you're doing, what you will do. And God, I thank you that we can have nights like this where we can share openly uh, and just discuss you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll reveal in us yourself, the Son, and build us from the inside out. I thank you for the way you build through your power. And I thank you as we all come to this place of weakness and surrender of our strengths and we leave them at the cross and just stand there vulnerable and exposed, you cover us and you build us with love. And so, God, I pray for a greater oneness of spirit here, this family, my family called The Rock. And I pray as you take us on this relationship with you together. Father, we'll become the manifestation of Christ here for everyone to receive from. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.